So uh, just a little bit about this venue. I'm the part-time leader of a church called Signal. We meet here on Sunday mornings. And we decided to do a three-week series called How God Sees Women. And then we thought oh, it would be so great to host um, our city on this important subject of the intersection of faith in Jesus and the place of women in the world. And uh, so we thought, let's in the evenings just invite uh, people who don't necessarily come to our church. So thank you for taking up that invitation. Uh, I'm curious how the invitation got to you. I know I put it on Facebook and word spread. But thank you for whatever your reason is for being here tonight. So uh, let me just tell you what we're doing in the Sunday mornings. Um, I started off this morning and I spoke about Genesis chapter 1 to 3, the opening chapters in the Bible. And I wanted to show from the first three chapters of the Bible that before um, Adam and Eve fell in sin, there was no hierarchy in the marriage. And I made that point, I think, convincingly. I think I was, I was certainly convinced. <laughs> and and, uh, and then uh, tonight, Julie's going to speak about a place at the table. The next Sunday morning, my, I'm talking on Pastor Priscilla, how Pastor Priscilla ends Christian patriarchy. Uh, because we live in a time where um, uh, complementarianism, a faith system Julio mentioned tonight, says that you can't have women pastors, not even in a stridently egalitarian culture, but I want to contend that if you can find even just one woman in a stridently patriarchal culture who's a pastor in the New Testament, then of course you can have women who pastors today. So I want to make that argument next Sunday morning. And then next Sunday night, I'm going to speak... Um, uh, on the main aha moments I had in, in my many years of studying scripture on this theme that were truly, oh my goodness, how did I miss this? And then the final Sunday, uh, we're going to speak about wives submit. There are four places in the, in the, <laughs> four places in the New Testament where it says those words, wives submit, and uh, how, how, to make, how to make sense of them. And again, show you some aha moments. And then that evening, we're going to have a a panel where we want to actually make sure we're earthing this entire conversation and hear from some people who are on this journey. How are you working it out in your marriage? How are you working this out in your church? How are you working this out in society? How are you working this out in your faith, your walk with God, the way you're parenting sons and daughters? And also like to hear from men because this doesn't just impact women, it impacts men. And uh, so enough of me talking. What we're going to do now is Julie's going to share her story, A Place at the Table, then we'll take a stretch break, and we'll come back and we'll do some Q&A. Cool. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Julie. Taryn's already introduced me. I'm just going to share my story and my journey to where I find myself um, now at. And um, so thank you for coming. And thank you to the, the guys that are here. I can see it's predominantly women. Um, and yet, as, as I think will become clear, not only tonight, but through this journey, um, is that this is an issue that affects us all, men and women. How we see women um, affects how we live our lives. Because if we obviously, if we are a woman, how we raise daughters, how we treat our sisters and our mothers and our peers. And if we're a man here, uh, we have a mother and perhaps a wife and sisters and peers and colleagues. And um, yeah, so welcome, welcome. Uh, so the, the title for tonight is A Place at the Table. And so 
what I did in preparation for tonight is I just thought about my life and what I can share um, on my journey from being someone that was a convinced complementarian um, to being someone that's now not a, a convinced egalitarian. For those of you who might not be familiar with those terms, a complementarian um, is a position, a theological position that many churches hold and many Christians hold um, that basically says that men and women are equal but different and that that difference really boils down to the roles that we have and de determined on our gender there's certain roles that men and women can do in the home and in church and in society. If you want to drill down further, men can do all the roles. Women are restricted to more the domesticated roles in home and all the roles in church except for teaching um, and for leading at the highest places. And um, more strident complementarians would take that into society and say that leadership of society should also be restricted to men. Egalitarians say women and men were created equal and different, but that those differences don't actually then drill down into what we can and can't do and the leadership functions we can hold in homes, in church, and in society. Okay, so uh, if you had asked me uh, five years ago if I'd be standing here <laughs> as uh, someone that would now be called, as Terran in his book uh, says, a mutualist or an egalitarian, I would have told you to go and get your head red. Because um, not only did I have the T-shirt, had I, like, you know, bought the bus, I had written the book. <laughs> I'd written a paper, a theological paper, for our stream of church on why women can't be pastors and why that was actually a very great and liberating thing for me personally in my own journey over decades as a uh, pastor's wife and as a leader in a complementarian church. And yet here I am. So how did I get here? <laughs> so a little bit about me. I grew up in Durban and I grew up in a, in a pretty nominal home. I'm, I'm okay. This is okay. Thanks. Um, like a pretty normal home, mom and dad, sister and a brother. Um, I think for its time, pretty uh, normal, not hugely kind of patriarchal or not patriarchal. Um, and um, I definitely grew up with parents that told me I could do anything I wanted to be. I wasn't kind of like the daughter and my, my brother was the guy, you know. Um, and yet, if I think about it, my dad, without question, drove the great car. <laughs> my mom drove the runaround, even though they worked equally as hard and did the same work. And, um, and when it came to making final decisions, my dad would make them and my mom, if she wasn't happy with them, would do the foot tap <laughs> with the pressed lips. And we knew, like, that wasn't going to go down well for long. So pretty average home, I think. Um, I do remember when I was in about grade six in a co-ed public school, uh, prevalent to this topic, I remember uh, our teacher uh, teaching us about the topic, the, the kind of skill of debating. And so what he did is he divided the class into girls and boys, and he said, the topic is girls are better than boys, or boys are better than girls, debate. And for some reason, I was the spokesperson for the girls, and there was another spokesperson. And to me, this was purely theoretical, right? Like, I mean, he, he was just teaching us about how the skills of debating. He could have been asking, debate why redheads are better than brunettes. You know, I, I thought, of course, no one really thinks 
boys are better than girls. I mean, surely not, you know? Um, and so uh, that's how I went into this debate. And then I remember, I was probably about 10 or 11 at the time, I, rem- I can still remember seeing Robert's face, my kind of debating opponent. And he was speaking with such passion and such conviction about why boys were better than girls. And I remember having a moment of thinking, I think he really believes this. And I was like, I was like really quite shocked. And and I didn't feel outraged or particularly traumatized or offended. I remember feeling a genuine sense of sadness for Robert. I, I really did. I remember thinking, shucks. And I think if I could have articulated that as I, as I think of it now, I think something in me knew that when we think of another person as less, whether we know it or not, we are made less. We diminished. We, we're smaller because of that. And I, I think that's what I was feeling for Robert. I don't know where he's ended up in life. I ended up going to an all-girls high school. And for me, it was a largely positive experience, surrounded by girls and um, in an academic environment where we were told we could be anything we wanted to be, and we believed it. And um, I had peers that went on to be robotics engineers, and some of them dancers, others stay-at-home moms, others doctors, others scientists. And um, myself, I uh, ended up at that school, being elected the head girl, which was like a big surprise for me, actually. I hadn't ever aspired to leadership, and yet that was an an amazing uh, experience of leadership and kind of having to be responsible for a group of people and uh, take some kind of leadership steps and initiative. I grew a lot. I felt like I had a lot to give in that role as a leader. Then I moved to Cape Town and started to study here, and I joined a church, uh, which was a complementarian church. I didn't know what those terms were at the time. It didn't matter to me. Uh, that, that, that genuinely did and does um, still honor women, you know, have them preaching from time to time and in different uh, leadership positions. And quite quickly, I was leading a small group and multiplying that small group and planting new small groups. And the issue of my gender never came up, never even crossed my mind that I that I might not be able to do something because I was a woman. You know, I had leadership gifts, I loved God, and I was using them, and it was wonderful. Uh, And then during the course of those first few years, I met Taryn, who was at that church, and uh, we fell in love, and within two years of dating, we were married. And I remember feeling very lost after we got married because I wasn't leading a small group anymore. I was Taryn's wife. And... Um, I remember, obviously, I was happily in love and married, but I remember how many women, particularly middle-aged women, would come up after he'd preach and say to me, you are so lucky. <laughs> Look after him. And I would go, mm, and think, I'm actually also quite nice, actually, and I've got some things that I could give. Um, and yet I remember uh, taking that to God, and uh, Terence spoke about this this morning, this like kind of like subtle gaslighting that we can do with women that have aspirations in the kingdom. I thought, this is my thing to deal with. I'm so selfish. I'm so like, I've got to just die to myself, you know? This is one of those moments. And so um, I did that, probably in my own way, like my mom with her ankle, you know, like spiritually, metaphorically, but I, I did that. And um, 
it wasn't long before Taryn was invited to be an elder, which is in that kind of church setting, the kind of core leadership team of the church. And wonderfully, they speak about eldership couples. You know, this, we've got these one flesh relationships called marriage. So when you've got an elder, his wife is kind of qualifies him and then is part of that leadership team. So that's kind of how they get, get around not having women as elders. And I felt very valued and that my contribution was valuable there. We'd have weekly meetings. I never felt like the women um, weren't able to raise things and be as vocal as the men in the room. I felt very valued, um, and and upon reflection, the only difference was that most of the men they were paid to be there. Uh, you know, if they were lead elders in a church, whereas their women, their wives were either volunteers or, or in my instance, taking time off work to be there. And they were volunteer men elders too, um, and uh, and that all went well. For a season, then Taryn and I decided to study a theological course, a correspondence three-year course together, which was wonderful. And during that time, this issue of egalitarianism and complementarianism came up and it resurfaced all the stuff that I kind of like stuffed down, you know, and, and been able to get away with because I had found my place at the table. And um, I remember really wrestling with this because we were looking at scriptures again and I just... It just didn't make sense to me why based simply on my gender, on like my, my sex, why God would restrict certain, you know, roles. And, um, and it, it made being in church, being in prayer meetings very hard for me for a while. And then I felt God speak to me and I felt him say to me, why are you wrestling for position uh, when you're already seated on my lap? And I, I just immediately felt such a peace that this wasn't my fight. It wasn't my time to be scrapping with my brothers to, like, prove myself. I actually could just rest. I was already seated, you know, next to the Most High. And so I gave up that fight, and I just happily supported my husband and led beside him as I, as I saw that. What also helped was at that time I read a book written by Kathy Keller, and in it, she answers this question, which is at the nugget for a woman that wants to minister and lead and yet feels like God has said no, uh, this, this issue of, um, of the Trinity. And she says, basically, when you look at the Trinity, you see Jesus uh, equal to his father and yet happy to submit to him. And what we do in marriage is we mimic this beautiful Trinitarian dance for the world to see. And so I thought, okay, I've got it. I've got it. Now I can understand. At least there's some logic behind why I've got to do this. It's part of my Christ-like dance and uh, character formation. Um, and then, I, yeah, I'm not going to come back to this. So I'm just going to mention as a side point that this, that kind of theology and that construct um, has since been uh, kind of dismantled and repented of, even by the Kellers and Piper and Grudem. Uh, because where it leads is this theological construct called eternal subordination, uh, which sees Jesus as as less than, you know, ontologically and eternally. And basically, it's not in the Bible. And And even if it was, there's no part in the Bible that says that a marriage relationship is meant to mimic the Trinity. So basically, um, what I was holding on to as my, like, theological reason for this delicate dance 
uh, appears not to be there. But, um, but getting back to my own journey, um, I basically happily then did what I could. I always worked outside of the church, and I was involved with Taryn in the church. We planted two churches. I preached. I led ministries. I led um, events. I led meetings and prayer meetings, and I felt like my contribution was valued and it was high. Um, and uh, then uh, Taryn started to question a few years ago this whole idea of complementarianism again and saying, I don't know if we've got it right. And interestingly, um, or surprisingly perhaps, I was one of his fiercest critics <laughs> when he started to raise this because we had been down this road before. I had wrestled with God. I found some kind of peace with it. And besides, I, I felt like if I was to now just go, oh, okay, honey, are we changing our mind theologically? Like I would basically be like proving the very thing he was trying to disprove, which is that like there is no leadership like ontologically, eternally in this relationship. So I said, no, I'm going to make up my own mind. And he said, that's okay. And ironically, that even proved that we were more uh, like in substance egalitarian than I'd like to admit because he was very happy with me to believe for probably almost a year differently to him on this critical uh, topic because he was happy for me to make my own mind up on that. Um, it's true. <laughs> he was tapping furiously and I was like, oh gosh, what's he doing? <laughs> it is true. That is a great ad for your book. I did change my mind. I, know book. <laughs> I, I really didn't, yeah, I wanted to walk, I, I wanted to walk the walk and, and, and believe what I believed, you know? Um, if I reflect deeper than just that reason, and this isn't in the book and in my forward, it's also that I had a place. <laughs> I had a place at the table. I wasn't denied a place at the table. I had a position. Um, and more than that, I had such a deep sense of belonging. We had been part of this team for close on 20 years. These were our best men, our bridesmaids, our best friends and confidants. And to um, question what we all believed was to risk these relationships and our place at this table, my place at this table. I also thirdly, as another reason, I think overly deferring was my default setting. It had become that, which is strange when I think back to my earlier years. Um, <clears throat> that was something that I had kind of learned how to do, and I'd done it for so long, deferred to, uh, to my leaders and just thought, if I just defer and submit, that's obviously what God wants. That's Christ-like character for me as a woman and also as a Christ follower. Just defer. Just defer to your leaders. Lay down your hopes and agency and let God raise you up, you know? I was good at that. Deferring my convictions, my sense of personal responsibility for my life, my agency, my hopes, my dreams. I also, uh, upon reflection, I'm, I'm not a fighter. Uh, Taryn sometimes play fights, particularly with our boys, and they can wrestle for, like, like hours, like throwing each other around. If the boys try and tackle me or wrestle me, I just play dead. I'm like, I am not a fighter. I do not want to play fight. I don't want to fight. I just I don't want to fight. And so I think when these issues have come up for me in different areas in my life, I'm not, I'm not, I just, I'm not going to be aggressive and like, like lay myself, 
you know, into this like boxing ring, fine. If you don't want me here, you don't have to have me there. I'm, I'm fine with that. And um, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about that this morning in worship. I felt prophetically like there's a lot of women like me <laughs> that have got gifts and potential and dreams and and so much to give, and you were quite happy to kind of bring it, and then you realized there was this kind of red tape, or there was this angst, or this aggression, and you played dead <laughs> with your dreams, and with your gifting, and your ministry, um, and I just feel like God's got more for you, like he has for me, uh, to, not, to not just defer, and to not just lay those things down as some kind of quasi-submission, uh, because you're robbing not just yourself, but who knows how many people and generations of the gifts God has put in you that are meant for more than you, for the blessing of nations. So T Taryn didn't push. He didn't uh, kind of like at all even really bring it up. He was just furiously writing a book. Um, and yet over time and upon more reflection and reading Taryn's book, I came to realize that ours was never a typical marriage, a complementarian marriage and a complementarian church even with how we had gone about ministering together. And ironically, my insistence on uh, making up my own mind kind of proved that. Even so, I have since been on my own journey of learning and relearning and unlearning so much in this regard. And while I never felt marginalized in my uh, previous church, I definitely overly deferred, uh, as I've mentioned already. More painfully, though, now, I do realize that because I had a seat at the table and I had a position and a place of belonging, uh, my very endorsement of that denied other women a place at the table simply because perhaps they weren't married to elders that uh, had a place that invited them to have a place next to them. Perhaps they weren't married and they were single with gifts. And that's quite a painful reali realization as a leader to realize that not only did I defer some of my gifts, but in a way I, I was part of a system that, that denied other people, uh, godly people, good people with much to give a place at the table. Uh, just three more things as I... Uh, speak about my own journey of uh, relearning uh, what I, who I am in Christ and who, how God sees me as a woman. In my personal life, I feel like the biggest change that is occurring is that I'm slowly regaining my, my agency over the one and only life that I've been given, that I've truly been given my own. I haven't really been given my kids' lives. <laughs> I've obviously got to steward them with my husband. I haven't been given my husband's life. I've, I've been given one life. And I think subtly why this is something that only as I hit 40 that I'm beginning to realize, gosh, I'm in charge of my life, is because for most of my adult life, I've been married. And I've heard people say, wow, Taryn, your wife looks like she's glowing, you must be doing such a good job of leading her. It's subtle. But in my head, I thought, yeah, that's right. If I'm not glowing, if I'm not flourishing, it's his responsibility. It's not mine. Um, and 
it's taken me a long time to realize this. Flippin' heck, I'm responsible for my life. No one's coming on a white horse to save me, not even my husband. Um, and that's been a beautiful thing in our relationship, but for me to realize I am responsible for my life and my flourishing. And I'm responsible in a mutually uh, egalitarian marriage for obviously the flourishing of my partner, but not ultimately. Taryn's responsible for, for his life too. In our marriage, uh, we have, as I said, I mean, I don't think we ever were like kind of hard complementarians in our marriage, but our roles are now based even more than before, not on our gender, but on our capacity and what is fair. And uh, this has also been just a wonderful, slow kind of awakening for, it, for us. It wasn't like a day where we decided to do this, but just slowly I've started to go, well, this isn't actually gender-fired that I need to clean up the kitchen or that may, I need to make supper. I'm actually working an eight-hour day. Like, you, you can help a bit. And Taryn has gone, oh, yeah, that's true. Great. And so um, I've relaxed a bit in the roles that I do. Taryn's picked up more happily. Our house is not as uh, neat as it was when I was like, uh, what did I used to call it? Like resent cleaning all the time. I'm like, there's a lot more. Um, I'm not going to look at my mother-in-law, Therese, who knows too much at this point. She visits us on a Wednesday and she's seen us at our best and our worst in terms of household domestic bliss and um, cleanliness. But the point is, is that it's both of our responsibilities, especially in terms of in our unique situation where we both are working and me sometimes longer hours than Taryn, then he needs to shoulder more of the domestic role, not because he's necessarily wired for us, we both really aren't, but actually because that's fair and he's got more capacity for it. Um, and that's been wonderful. We make decisions as equals. We, we kind of always have, but in the back of the mind, we had this like, tiebreaker thing, you know, like actually ultimately you're responsible, Taryn, like before God for all these decisions. Uh, we do as we always have, but now just with more freedom, we make decisions together. And of course, on big decisions, um, we would never make one without both of us being in agreement. It's not like now I make more decisions. We make them together and we make them based on who is more qualified to make that decision. In our parenting, while Taryn has always been an active dad, he's more so now. And he's shouldering more of the practical responsibilities, as I've mentioned. I'm going away next month for two and a half weeks, which I have never done. And, and it's not actually based on this journey of me, like, you know, eat, pray, loving myself into another dimension. I've been planning this since I was 30. Like, when I turn 40, Taryn, I am leaving you with our children and I'm going on a retreat. Um, and uh, And... I'm going to France, but that's another talk. That's another series. Um, but Terence's not babysitting our kids while I'm away. It's not like, oh, shucks, who's looking after you? Their father is looking after them, just like I have looked after them on countless trips when Terence's gone to America for three weeks or on a surfing trip here and there. Ha countless, countless trips. I have the mic. <laughs> so many trips. <laughs> I'm really not bitter. I really am not. I've happily sent him on all those trips. Really, it's they, they've all been great, and I've happily, happily done it. And he's so happily sending me to uh, on this beautiful 
France adventure. So um, our parenting is just more uh, equal. We are equal shareholders in each other's flourishing and in leading our home and our children together. And um, while I was reflecting on this, I realized I feel more served now in our relationship than I ever have. You know, there's that Ephesians thing about the husband serving his wife. And actually, now that we're just like straight up egalitarians, there's so much more mutual serving in both ways, I think. Another subtle surprising consequence uh, is that I feel far less mom guilt because I feel like um, when I was living in a complementarian kind of environment, yes, I was very free to contribute at church and to work, but I was also largely responsible for everything else that happened at home. The, you know, the, the emotional care of our children, the domestic running of our home. And that's a lot to put on a woman that's also working. And I really, I, there is nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom. I dream of being a stay-at-home mom. Um, it's, not, it's not less than, but in a society where we live in, where largely women have to, there's a large percentage of single moms or women that choose to or have to work to also then for them to not just work like their husbands, but also shoulder this whole other role at home is, it's just unfair and cruel, you know? And so, um, although that wasn't put on me, I feel like I am just living in a far more, uh, like, gracious place of, like, doing what I can, and my husband and I and my the co- co-parent, we together need to uh, even shoulder the guilt where we've, you know, not done everything we need to do for, for today or whatever. We're together in this. It's not a mom thing. So to end off... A place at the table. I had a place. But I think what I'm realizing is that it illegitimately denied others a place. And perhaps it illegitimately let me have a place uh, because of its actual uh, theology. If it was consistent, I shouldn't have really had a place there. Uh, Where I find myself now is, uh, is that I have a place at the table, and yet my husband is on this leadership team of this church, I, in my role at the moment, I have got a lot going on with my work and with my kids, and I choose not to be a leader, you know, per se, in this, in this um, church, and that has been so liberating for me from coming from a place where I was always an eldership couple, and, you know, like it or not, stage of season or not, I was on, you know. I am now a happy contributing member of this church, but I'm not on the leadership team, and that's also quite liberating for me. I have a place at the table. I might not be as active at that place, but I feel as I feel such a deep sense of belonging and such a sense of closeness to God and that my contribution is really valued. And so to end, I just wanted to say that, that this whole journey isn't about every one of us now can, you know, be the the ultimate leader or preach or whatever, but it means that whatever your place is at the table, it's valued. And um, I just wanted to end with that story of of Mary. Um, I was reminded of her, Mary of Bethany. Um, Gosh, just the more I read the Gospels, the more I just love her. (laughs) She was living in such an oppressive patriarchal society, you know, and yet she just walked in there. Jesus is sitting there. Only men sit, you know, as disciples 
at Jesus's feet and she just plonks herself there. Her sister's like aggressively, passively, resentfully cleaning and scrubbing pots, probably very loudly like I have been prone to do. And she's just sitting there taking her place at her master's feet. It's, it's incredible. And Jesus doesn't just allow it, eye roll it, ankle passively, aggressively tap it up, tap it away. He spotlights her and he says, he says, what you have chosen is best and it will not be taken from you. And then later on, she runs, she prophetically knows something's going down. Who knows how that happened? She takes her most valuable investment, her portfolio, which was an alabaster jar full of perfume, and she breaks it over his feet. Those same feet that she'd sat right by listening at. And she anoints his feet, and it's a room just for men at that table. And she just blasts in there and does this, and they are irritated. How inappropriate, how unbiblical. And Jesus says, what you have done is beautiful and it will be remembered. And today, 2,000 years later, we're remembering her. I just wanted to end with this sense in my heart, and I hope that you feel it, which is that what God has put in you as a woman, Mary didn't preach, she didn't, it wasn't one of the 12, but it can echo through eternity if you take your place at Jesus' feet and at his table. Thank you.